Enjoy a tall, cool dude. I grew up like most kids, worried I couldn't bench two plates, that I wouldn't fit in, that I wouldn't find love. Then I discovered partying, and suddenly all those worries went to the wayside. I didn't need love. I had keg stands. I discovered I was great at raging, and it revealed wonderful things about myself. I could relate to bros, regardless of what kind of bro they were. I could be at a party and moon people and everyone would laugh, you know, be witty. Or I could play beer pong and compete with real integrity. In short, I fulfilled my potential. The Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. It is a flashback of sorts. I'm looking up at the TV right now. I see the UB Bulls. Warming up, getting ready to play Ball State in the MAC championship game at Ford Field in Detroit. It really feels like it's 12 years ago all over again. Not a big college football fan, but a local sports fan nonetheless. And I remember sitting in my living room as a 13-year-old, yes, 13-year-old in 2008, Getting ready to watch maybe the first college football game that I ever really cared about, which were the Bulls playing Ball State, who was undefeated, ranked, I think, 12th in the country, being talked about as a potential upset pick to be in a BCS game. Remember the BCS? And then UB with Turner Gill at head coach and Drew Willie at quarterback and Naaman Roosevelt, and James Starks, and who's the safety that returns the touchdown? Uh, Mike Newton, I think. I really hope that's right. I think Newton is the safety. And it was just electric. It was awesome. Me and my brother just watching that game. You know, you thought it would have got me into college football a little bit. Really didn't do the trick, but maybe the still to this day, the college football game that I cared about the most was that game. And looking up at the TV, it just it's very reminiscent of what we watched 12 years ago. The Bulls and Ball State playing for the MAC championship game. Joe DiBiase and uh, no Brendan Keeney tonight uh, here on WGR. If you're looking for the UB game, we are about 20 or so minutes away from kickoff. And you're looking to listen to that game. Once it gets going, it'll be over on our sister station, ESPN 1520. We will be focused mainly on the Bills on tonight's show. And not just the upcoming game against the Broncos. Although I do want to put a spotlight on the wide receiver cornerback matchup between the Bills and the Broncos because I think that could just be and that game that could al- allow the game to get away from Denver tomorrow. So we'll get into that little fantasy as well. If you have lost track of how Bills players are doing fantasy-wise this season, it's their most fantasy relevant season I've ever seen. Ever seen. So we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show as well, but Everyone is given their memories of the Bills winning the division in 1995 or uh, winning the division in 88, like the 80s to the 90s. That's a lot of what we're getting this week. It's remembering what it was like to go into a game knowing if you win, you win the division. And that is a scenario that has not presented itself in over two decades. And it's a scenario that I have never lived with. I have never seen. I have never felt. I have never heard nothing about it ever. It is 
completely off my radar because of a combination of the Bills being one of the most inconsistent franchises in the league, an afterthought for 20 years, and happening to be in the same division as the longest dynasty we have ever seen in the sport. 20 years of Brady and Belichick. Those two things combined have allowed Bills fans my age to never get tomorrow. You win and you get the division. It's never happened. It's never been really within the frameworks of my thinking. I think the only time I've ever really thought about winning the division was 12 years ago. When, when, what's the exact date? I want to get the date right. Because there's really only one day. September 9th, 2008. I think that is the only day I have ever really thought about the Bills winning the division. That's the day Tom Brady tears his ACL. The Bills maybe even lose that week. But Brady tears his ACL and he's done for the season. Right out of the gates. And here comes Matt Castle, an unknown commodity. Who knows what you're going to get from New England now. And in that moment, it's like, okay, who's taking advantage of this? Could it be the Bills? Because suddenly we went from, ah, New England's just going to win it, coming off the heels of one of the best seasons we've ever seen by any team in league history, to, am I better than the Jets and the Dolphins? Can I beat Chad Pennington? Can, Can I do this with Trent Edwards as my quarterback? It was the only time I really ever thought about it. But here we are in a season where it's not going to be the same first type of feeling that three years ago was for myself and many other younger Bills fans. There is not going to be Andy Dalton completing a miracle fourth down pass to Tyler Boyd for a touchdown to send the Bills to the playoffs. That's not going to happen. And that's fine. You're not going to get, you know, a compilation of videos that the Bills put out and that you see on SportsCenter and on ESPN of Bills fans. I mean, you go on YouTube right now and you could waste the next, waste, it's not wasting. You could spend the next two hours plus just watching videos of Bills fans watching Dalton to Boyd. You could do you go for hours. You could watch that, and you're not going to get that on Saturday, because mentally we have been preparing for this for weeks now. Even with the Dolphins being a game back for a lot of the season, I felt like I was in here week six and seven with Miami one game back, two games back, and I felt like I was having to convince people to even think about Miami. I never once picked them to win the division. I never once said that they're going to be the division winners. But I was just trying to get people to think about the Dolphins. And I couldn't get it to happen. With my listeners, I mean. Twitter, whatever. Just nobody wanted to hear any of it. And that's fine. And I I understand it. Because now you look back and you think, well, that's the reason. That's the reason, right? Miami was getting lucky. And they're going to make the playoffs, maybe. They're going to be in it with Baltimore right to the very end. But 
you could have never argued they were a better football team. And that's really where you want that conversation to begin and end. With who's winning the division? Well, who's better? Have you ever been able to say the Dolphins this year? No? Because we know the other two teams, I mean, other than right at the beginning of the season, where there was still some love for the New England Patriots, right when they signed Cam Newton, they were getting respect. as Oh yeah, they could still win the AFC East. The Jets were never in that. But that quickly faded for New England. Because they got on the field and everyone saw, oh, they can't throw the football. They don't have the quarterback to do it. They don't have the receivers to do it. They don't have the tight ends to do it. They don't have anything. They cannot throw the football. And you're not doing anything big in this league if you can't throw the football. Are they still sitting at five passing touchdowns? I know Cam Newton is at five passing touchdowns, so they probably have six or seven. Stidham maybe has one. I mean, good Lord. How are you going to do anything in this league if you can't throw the football? So we saw New England right away, and we you knew. There was no way that was happening. No way. And then the Bills kept cruising along, and suddenly the conversation changed from, do we have to worry about Miami to be able to win the division, or should we turn our sights to Kansas City and Pittsburgh? And where do we now rank in the division? Where do we rank in the league? Should we be talking about the Super Bowl? And the Bills have been so good this year, and this is credit to them. This is not a a bad thing. They have been so good this year that the division has never been that interesting to talk about. They're just going to win it. And what I'm wondering here now is not whether or not they're going to win it because the odds of the Bills losing out and Miami winning out, including beating the Bills Week 17 when the game would matter for Buffalo, no chance. No chance. So that's not the interesting question. The interesting question now is, how often are the Bills going to win the division? You know, nobody can expect a New England run. Nobody. 20 years. That's the only time that's ever happened in the sport. It's You're just not going to get that. 11 years in a row as the division winner. Nobody does that. The Bills are not going to rattle off a dozen straight division titles. It's just, come on. You got to be realistic. But in the next five, six years, I mean, four? That's to me what this team might be on track for. Because everything they've done this year has been built with the mindset of thinking long term. And it just happened to all encapsulate itself and and kind of come to fruition. This year is when it came to fruition. But Josh Allen is a long-term card to have. Stephon Diggs is a long-term card to have. Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, those are long-term cards. Tredavious White, Deion Dawkins, Tremaine Edmonds, Jordan Poyer. This team is young. This team is young and it is just now breaking through. It reminds me a lot of the Seahawks team from about five, six, seven years ago. Right when Russell Wilson took over the starting job, that defense became elite. And suddenly, and Pete Carroll was in there as head coach, and suddenly Seattle had gone from kind of an afterthought for a couple of years to, oh, this team is going to compete on an elite level for years. And... They did that for about four or five years. 
they took a step back maybe for the next couple and now Russell Wilson's back to playing at an MVP or is at playing at an MVP level and Seahawks are right back on a contender's wish list. So how often are the Bills going to win it? I think they're going to win it pretty often, especially when and this is the biggest point about this, second biggest. The what the Bills have built is the main reason, obviously why this is going to happen. But the other reason is there's just not enough competitors. I think Miami's going to be an annoyance. I think they're going to be they're going to be bugging you for years now. I think Tua is pretty good. I don't think he has the elite ceiling that maybe I once thought he had, but I think Tua is pretty good. And with everything else that's going on there, a pretty darn good defense, some good weapons that they're starting to build up. Mike Jacecki looks like a nice tight end. Devontae Parker is a nice wide receiver. So is Preston Williams. Their offensive line, they're starting to get their act together. Like they, They've got some nice pieces. They are on the upswing. But between Tua and what the rest of it is, I don't think they have the same potential that the Bills have right now. So, all that to say, in a five-year stretch, I could see the Dolphins winning a division. I could see that happening. They're good enough. They are respectable enough to where a down year for the Bills, which now, with this core of players in this regime, might, I mean, what are we talking about? Nine and seven as a down year for this team? Yeah, the Dolphins could get one on you. But where are those other two teams? You know, I think about like the NFC North for this. Like Aaron Rodgers has been the most talented quarterback in football for maybe 15 years. But what he's had an issue with is the rest of his division has always been competitive. The Vikings, plenty of times, have had elite teams. They almost went to the Super Bowl with Case Keenum. Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. They've had great defenses. They've had great wide receivers. Like, the Vikings have had contending teams. The Lions, with Matthew Stafford, for the first time in their franchise history, maybe the second time after Barry Sanders, for the second time in their entire franchise's history, have actually been kind of competitive under Matthew Stafford. Three playoff appearances with Stafford as their quarterback. That's a team that's always been bothering the Packers and Aaron Rodgers and their run. And the Bears, despite never really finding a quarterback, same thing. You know, they had good years with Cutler. They had a good year with Kyle Orton. They've had great defenses a couple years ago with Mitch Trubisky. I think they won that division two years ago. I'm almost positive. They were great. I know they're in the playoffs. The Packers, for instance, or for example, have always been dealing with three good teams in their division. And I just don't see that happening here in the AFC East. The Jets are about to get the best quarterback prospect we've maybe seen in 10 years. But, man, what are you going to put around him? You're bare bones. Maybe two, three years down the road, you're starting to look respectable. But how long till you're a contender? I just don't see that happening anytime soon with the Jets. And then, honestly, I think the Patriots are further behind than the Jets. For the next five years, who's their quarterback? How are they getting him? Newton's going to be a free agent, and he's shot anyway. Go ahead, bring in Garoppolo. Bring, bring Garoppolo back. He's an average quarterback in the league, and he's already 30 years old. Go ahead. 
I would be so happy. I'd be thrilled if the Patriots brought Garoppolo back as their plan as a franchise quarterback. They could draft one in the middle of the first round. It's a crapshoot. Maybe a hit. Maybe you hit on that pick. Maybe you bottom out next year. But how Belichick is getting up there in age. How much more vigor is he going to really have to keep doing this? To start over? Because they've gone for it this year. They've tried to win. That's why they brought in a veteran Cam Newton. But 68 years old. Is he going to want to go through a full rebuild? Does Belichick make it five years as their head coach? All of those are unanswered questions about New England. I think the Jets and the Patriots are so far behind the eight ball that the Bills are going to win four of the next five division titles. That would be my guess. I'll give one to Miami, and I wouldn't be stunned if they won two. Because I, I, I respect what they have got going on. But the Bills are ahead of them. And this is going to be a trend. They're going to win the division either tomorrow night or next week, most likely. And, or maybe they win it on Sunday, by the way. They could lose to the Broncos, and then the Dolphins lose to New England, and boom, Bills are AFC's champions. They're they're going to win the division. And that's just going to be the start, I think, of a run of AFC East titles in the next couple of years. Because of a combination of the Bills' core being as young as it is and as good as it is this year, as well as a combination of that and the Dolphins being your really only respectable competition in the next couple of seasons. 803-0550 is the phone number. Do you agree with me on... Four division titles next five years? Am I jumping the gun too much? I do want to transition more to the game itself, though. I want to get into A.J. Bouye being out, plus some other cornerback injuries in the Broncos' secondary. That matchup for the Bills. I am excited about it. And then we'll also talk some fantasy as well. If you haven't been playing a ton of fantasy this year, maybe you have only, I don't know, one or two teams and you don't have any Bills on it, you might not know how good they've been this year fantasy-wise. This has easily been the best Bills team I've ever seen for fantasy football. So, update you on what's going on with Allen, Diggs, Singletary, Moss, Beasley, Brown, everybody on the offense, uh, how they're doing fantasy-wise this season. We'll talk about that a little bit as well. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase. Looking for your phone calls next right here on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR. Just want to get some breaking news. I guess you could call it news. It's more of a report than anything official. Won't leave you hanging anymore. Just wanted to make sure that I was getting this right. Blue check mark, everything. We got the you know fake account. Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet is reporting. There is word tonight that the NHL and the NHLPA have a tentative deal on a 56-game season. Uh, Nothing unexpected there. 2021 will get underway hopefully within a month for the NHL and will likely run until about early July, if it's timed out right. 
they can get that in. If you look back at the lockout shortened year in 2012, they started the season on January 18th, actually one month from tonight. And they got a 48-game season in by April, like when they normally end. So 56, if you're going through the summer, including the playoffs, I think is definitely achievable without having to have anything ridiculous in terms of, um, you know, like playing five games in one week. You know, I don't think you're going to get anything nuts like that. You're not going to get three games in a row, I think. Uh, but that's just a guess. So we'll see if any more details come out on that in the next 24 hours or so. But again, Elliot Friedman says there's word tonight NHL and NHLPA have a tentative deal on a 56-game season. I cannot wait for hockey to come back. I cannot wait for hockey to come back. You might have heard Mike Shope reference it on the afternoon show on my Sabres podcast, Locked on Sabres. We've been doing an all-time Sabres tournament, World Cup style. Uh, so international teams, and just watching those simulations on EA Sports NHL, like even something as dumb as that, with a game which like I'm, I'll be one of the biggest critics of that video game, EA Sports NHL as anybody. The mechanics are awful at times, but it's hockey, and you have a rooting interest, and you don't know what's going to happen, and just that combination of things, like I'm, I'm wanting the league back. And I'm reading about the World Juniors every day being two weeks away. And Dylan Cousins is on the top line with Jack Quinn. And, like, I can't wait for the World Juniors now in a week. And then the NHL season's going to come back. Man, I've been missing the Sabres. I know they have been a disaster for really a decade. Like, it is so disheartening what has happened with that team. That was my first love, sports-wise. The way I reference it a lot was as a... Buffalo sports fan born in 1995. The Bills and Sabres were in a race to be my number one team. And I'm sure it was that way with a lot of fans my age. Because both teams were not that good. I can't really remember 99 for the Bills or the Sabres. I'm four years old. So basically, it's like 2002 to 2005. Like that stretch. It's like, all right, who's going to be first? And the Sabres got there. It was as magical as you could possibly imagine. So, the Sabres have always been my first love when it comes to Buffalo sports. And even with them being in the state they've been in for nine years, bringing back the same roster year after year, the same cast of players, the same dull, boring jerseys year after year, the same flawed hope that this year is going to be different, it really does remind you of the Bills drought. It's every year you get to, well, it's a new season, anything can happen, but you don't really ever have a lot tangible to point to as to why it's going to be different. And despite all of that, I miss it. I miss it a ton. Like, I can't even, I can't put it into words how much I miss hockey and I miss the Sabres playing. And gearing up for games night in and night out throughout a week. This season's different though too in that you actually, I just mentioned like year after year, you've really had nothing tangible to point to and say this is why this year's going to be better than the last eight. This season you actually have some of that. And the jersey point of it too. Like just them being in the jerseys that we all want finally. 
Like, that's going to be just fresh. It's going to be a breath of fresh air. You know, that that might give them a little more... That might give them a little more time to get things rolling here. Keep fans off their back a little bit if it doesn't start off great. Even something as simple as jerseys, I think, could do that. But then to be able to sign Taylor Hall, you know, just that on its own, and to have a couple of different pieces. Like, Johan Larson was not the, the, the stale player that's been here year after year that you wanted gone because to me he was the most useful of that group you know when Larson Ristolainen Gergensen's like Larson was the guy you should have kept of all of those but you know what I'll take it couple of different players one of which being a former Hart Trophy winner new uniforms I know you're probably not gonna have any fans in the stands but still let's get back on the ice Get back on the ice. I cannot wait for that. Cannot wait for that. Under a month away. All right. Update on the UB Bulls. Jarrett Patterson. Who else? This guy is unbelievable. Jarrett Patterson, running back for the Bulls, runs in a touchdown on a great opening drive for UB, and they lead the back championship 7 to nothing over Ball State. I mentioned earlier, if you missed it, and you're looking for the UB game, that's over on our sister station, ESPN 1520. It's AM 1520. I did want to talk a little about the Bills and Broncos matchup specifically before we do a little fantasy as well pertaining to the Bills. And I really wanted to point out the wide receiver corner matchup tomorrow for Bills Broncos. That that is going to be the type of advantage that could allow the Bills to blow Denver out. I'm hearing a lot of this game's going to be close. You know, Benjamin Albright, KOA Denver, was on the station this week saying, like, eh, this is going to be a field goal game. A lucky bounce, right? Denver, kind of a trap game. You're hearing callers say that. It's a trap game. Drew Locke, eh, he's not that bad. He's kind of a younger version of Josh Allen, maybe. I think Denver stinks. I, I think Denver's terrible. And maybe part of it for me is that, why I'm so set in that, is that I thought they were terrible before the season. They've been bad all year. It's kind of confirmed that thinking I already had of them. So why am I supposed to think that they're, you know, on the upswing? They have an old coach who's getting his first crack at the job at 60 plus years old who's been a defensive coordinator in the league for 20 years like why why is that hire supposed to instill any optimism into me they drafted a quarterback in the second round who is a a raw version a raw less athletic version of Josh Allen whose development is almost an anomaly around the league and they've got a great group of receivers, but when the guy can't get them the ball, like Josh Allen had that excuse early in his career. Allen had some struggles with accuracy, and he had some struggles throwing the football, but one thing he could he could get away with was that he could do that because fans wouldn't get on him for it. Coaches wouldn't get on him for it. I wouldn't get on him as much for it. Because he was thrown to Jeremy Curley and Calvin Benjamin and Andre Holmes. Like Allen had nothing to work with. Drew Locke has come out in his career with Cortland Sutton, who is one of the most underrated players in the league. I mean, he might be a top top 10 receiver in football, top 15. Like, he's a good number one wide receiver. They drafted Jerry Judy, who's got as much potential in a wide receiver as you could ever ask for. K.J. Hamler, they nailed that pick in the third round. He's already good in the slot for them drafting him in the third round. 
Tim Patrick, this guy's come out of nowhere. He's a nice player. He's about a first-round pick on Noah Fan. He's a good athletic tight end. He's got everything you could ask for in terms of weapons to throw to. Why are they good? Is Their defense? Their defense hasn't been elite for years. Von Miller is great, and to not have him is a big deal. I get that. But that's one player. The rest of their defense, they have not been an elite unit for years. They've been good. But a good defense with a bad offense is not going to get you anywhere. They're the new Bills. They're the new Bills. A head coach that no one else in the league would want as their coach. A quarterback who was not a high draft pick, but was a high enough draft pick to where, like, ah, oh, you understand why they're giving him a chance. Is Drew Locke not just new Trent Edwards? New J.P. Lossman? Like, Denver is going down a bad path here. And they've got a GM in place that can't go anywhere. So, the guy calling the shots, that's a dangerous situation. That's why... Man, I would never want to make a hire like that. I would never want the Bills to make a hire like that. They have done it in the past. Like, they made Marv GM. Like, it's happened. But, man, when you make John Elway your decision maker, how do you ever get rid of him? He's going to go on a five, six, seven year stretch here since Peyton Manning left of bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Misses after misses after misses a quarterback. And he's not going anywhere. That's, man, let me take over or be like the, the I heard a, a question earlier today on ESPN Radio. It's like, which if you could take this, the head coaching job of any team in the league right now, who are you picking? Not including the Chiefs. And for some reason, my mind went to, who would I least want to take over? And my answer might be the Broncos. Like, that franchise right now is abysmal. And I can't get over how how pedestrian they are. How average they are. And that's why I compare them to the Bills. They're not bad enough to be picking high. But they're not going to be good enough to be a playoff team anytime soon in my mind. Anyways, I got on a little rant there and a tangent about what Denver is long term. But tomorrow, Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley, who are... Two elite route runners. I mean, Diggs, I've been calling him the best route runner in the league. I still think that. Beasley is maybe the best route runner in the league in terms of slot receivers. Gabriel Davis, by the way, like he needs to be mentioned from now on. Like we, we would always mention John Brown in a Bills receiver trio. But Gabriel Davis, like he is he is catching the ball in the red zone. He is making plays between the 20s. Like he has been a good, reliable third wide receiver while John Brown has been out. Which For a fourth-round rookie, I don't know how you could ask any more than that. Those three are going to eat tomorrow against a depleted Broncos secondary that's missing their top corner in A.J. Bouye. They're missing other bodies in the secondary that would be filling in for him. And the Bills have that trio of receiver who are going to be open all day. And listen, like, yeah, do they have a good pass rush? It's, It's talked about they have a good pass rush in Denver. The Steelers were being talked about as a team that had a good pass rush. And guess what? Like, Josh Allen's almost immune to that, in my mind. Teams have had good pass rushes coming in to play the Bills. And Josh Allen is just kind of built to beat that. His pocket awareness is as good as anybody. He knows exactly when to step up. 
He knows exactly when to roll his shoulders to get away from pressure. He knows when to roll out to the left or the right. He knows when to take off running. Like, I have as much faith in Josh Allen, his pocket awareness, as almost anything about his skill set. His athleticism plus that, I mean, yeah, you can get pressure on him, but he is, I don't see him, he's not completely immune to it. Like, the ball does come out. Right, he's got he's had fumbling issues, but man, it's hard to do a better job against pressure than Josh Allen does. And by the way, in addition to that, he has gotten a lot better getting the ball out quick when he needs to. And in part, that is having Cole Beasley. I remember when they signed Beasley, and that was one thing I was very worried about. It was is Allen even going to know how to use this player? Is Allen going to know how to use a player whose main skill set is getting open within two seconds? Because that's Cole Beasley. If pressure is bearing down on Allen, if the the defense sends the blitz and he doesn't see it, Allen just looks to Beasley and there's a good chance he's open in those first couple of seconds. And that type of player was something I didn't know if he would be able to use. And he's used it. I mean, Beasley's been phenomenal for two years now. Better than he ever was in Dallas. So Allen's using that player and it's a good out for pressure. A lot of quarterbacks use their running back for things like that, like Phillip Rivers and Ben Roethlisberger, like that older guard of quarterback. When they're getting pressured, they like to dump it off to the running back. Allen just throws it to Beasley short. That, I mean, all of that, in addition, combined at the end, has me thinking Denver does not, doesn't present anything I'm scared of. Nothing. They can't throw the ball deep. They can't run the ball efficiently. Their defense does not strike fear into me. I don't know how the Bills are not blowing them out tomorrow. I do not respect them as an opponent. I think they're bad. I think they're terrible. And maybe I'm overstating it, but man, I, I could see that game getting out of hand quick. 803-0550 is the phone number. We'll get into some Bills fantasy stuff when we come back. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase. This is WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR. Just wanted to get a couple other news items pertaining to this report about the NHL in before we get out of here tonight. I'll try to squeeze in that Bill's fantasy point I had earlier, um, or that I wanted to get to. Um, all right, so what do we got? We had a report from Elliot Friedman that there's a tentative deal in place between the NHL and the NHLPA. Now we have Frank Saravelli of TSN saying that the tentative agreement between the league and the Players Association, which still requires approval, by the way, will call for training camps to open on January 3rd and regular season games to begin on January 13th. That is under a month away. However, the seven teams that did not make the 2014 playoff, which includes the Buffalo Sabres, can open training camp on December 30th. All dates subject to change, scheduling not finalized. That's a tweet from Frank Cervelli. Now, one thing to point out here about the timing of training camp is that Dylan Cousins will be right in the thick of the World Juniors as that happens. And one thing that I've pointed out on this show in the last week or so is that a training camp that starts right around then, and let's say for sake of conversation now it's approved, and the Sabres camp will start on December 30th. Dylan Cousins is not going to be at Sabre camp. When it starts. And he will be playing for Team Canada. He'll be 
centering line one for Team Canada, and maybe that's as good an indicator of whether he's ready for the NHL as any. But he's not going to be at camp. He's not going to be skating on line rushes with Sabres teammates that he might be playing with in the start of the season. And I hope, I hope that I'm right, that he's got a good shot of being on the team at the beginning of the year despite not being at the entirety of training camp. Because, man, if they don't give him an opening night lineup spot because he wasn't at an extra four or five practices, that's not going to sit well. But, again, I give the organization, the coaching staff, enough confidence to start the year that they're going to get this one right. The Dylan Cousins, a seventh overall pick, and maybe they give it to him just because of his draft status, honestly. But Dylan Cousins, a guy who I thought earned a roster spot in last year's preseason and they didn't give it to him, because we had to find out if Casey Middlestat was ready, that another year of development, hopefully a good World Juniors tournament, will be enough for the Sabres to hand Dylan Cousins a spot in the opening night lineup despite not being a training camp. I hope that happens. We'll see. And we'll see if this agreement comes to fruition anyway. You can never you never know with the NHL and the, uh, <laughs> and the NHLPA. All right, one other thing I wanted to get to before I wrap up for tonight, and I will be back tomorrow uh, starting at 1 p.m. I will be in with Nate and Jeremy for the roundtable on our pregame coverage tomorrow at 1 o'clock. Our coverage, by the way, starts at 11 a.m., leading all the way up to kickoff for Bills Broncos at 4.30. But the Bills and fantasy. This has been their most fantasy-relevant season I've ever seen in my entire life. Josh Allen right now, is the fifth-best fantasy quarterback on the entire season, averaging 24.2 points per game. I mean, for quarterback, that is easily the highest I've seen. Now, Tyrod Taylor, in his 2017 campaign, no, not 2017, his first year, 2015, he finished as quarterback 10. And that's the only time, I believe, during the entirety of the Bills' playoff drought that a quarterback of theirs has finished as a QB1. It happened once with Tyrod. Allen's QB5, so beat that. That's incredible. Then you get to running back, and you're not going to get much there. Devin Singletary's RB35, just what I projected. Man, I hope you read my fantasy stuff before the season and you took it to heart that you just you got to stay away from the Bills running backs. you got to stay away. Singletary had the lion's share of the work last year with Frank Gore kind of getting benched and he ended his RB18 in the final six weeks RB18's not winning you championships and that was with a perfect situation add a third round rookie coming in and what does Singletary have he doesn't get the touchdowns he doesn't get catches because Allen doesn't throw to running backs and he doesn't get enough volume and he's not explosive enough He's not fast enough, I should say. He'll make you miss in space. But Singletary's not fast enough to get you touchdowns from a distance. He is maybe the best player I've ever seen that is just a non-starter in fantasy football. It's, it's so interesting how you just can't play him ever. But he's a good player. Like, in reality, he's a good player. Zach Moss is RB48 on the season. I thought, you know, there might be a chance that enough touchdown volume would allow him to be relevant fantasy-wise this year, but hasn't really happened. Um, the Bills switching to such a pass-heavy offense has hurt that. Uh, and then, how about Stephon Diggs? Qu- wide receiver 7 
on the year. The seventh best fantasy wide receiver, right behind a former teammate, by the way, Adam Thielen at number six. Um, but Diggs averaging over, and that's standard, actually. Let me get you the PPR numbers on him. Diggs, let me update that. I am terribly sorry. I gave you the standard fantasy point numbers, so you can take that for what it's worth, too. But PPR, Diggs is third on the season, only behind Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. That's incredible. That, that is incredible. The third best fantasy wide receiver. Now, Cole Beasley never thought he had the potential to be the 22nd best fantasy wide receiver. He's got the same amount of points as Mike Evans. More than Chase Claypool. More than DJ Moore. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better... More than Julio Jones. You couldn't have asked for a better season from from Cole Beasley. Um, And John Brown, when he's been in, has been... Very productive. It's tough for him that the injuries have occurred because he's averaging over 10 points a game. As a number two wide receiver on the Buffalo Bills, 10 points a game sounds like a dream. So if you have any Bills in fantasy this year, hopefully it did well for you. Hopefully you're still going. And uh, I'm playing Josh Allen in a semifinals tomorrow. Not super excited about that. And when could you ever say that you weren't excited to play the Bills quarterback in fantasy? All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening tonight. It's been a fun week. And you'll get more of me tomorrow if you want it. I'll be on at 1 o'clock, hopping on with Nate and Jeremy to talk Bills and Broncos. I'll join them for the roundtable again tomorrow at 1 o'clock. Our coverage here on WGR starts at 11 a.m. And it'll lead you all the way up to kickoff between the Bills and the Broncos at 4.30. So, for Jody Biasi and for Brendan Keeney, who's been in for a lot of the week as well, always appreciate Brendan jumping on. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and I will talk to you tomorrow. This has been the Nightcap on WGR.